Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Series 2 of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'm Chris Hatfield, aka Not Another Sales Guy. I'm a sales and mindfulness coach, trainer, consultant, and speaker. I work with corporate sales teams and leaders, along with startup business owners passionate about what they do, but wanting to up their sales game. My main mission is helping us all become more mindful of how we elevate our performance, perspective, and potential. If you want to know more, then look me up on LinkedIn. Chris Hatfield, always happy to chat. So if you're new to Not Another Sales Podcast, here's what to expect. It's aimed at giving you insights into how you can be successful within the world of sales, whether that's your career or your own business. We go deeper into the thought process and mindset needed for success when selling and when running a business, not just the skills and output. So if you're looking for a podcast with a difference that starts with the mind in mind, this is for you. So enough about me, let's get started. On today's episode, I'm joined by two titans of the sales world, Tom Carsley and Aaron Ross. Tom is one of the leading sales leaders in the UK and currently VP of Sales at Outreach. And Aaron is the co-CEO of PredictableRevenue.com, a keynote speaker and author of Predictable Revenue and the book From Impossible to Inevitable. And we're going to start by talking about why it isn't true that a salesperson's job is to close business, what they should actually be looking at instead of this, and some of the things to consider. Tom and Aaron are also going to be sharing what they believe is some top traits, habits, or skills that people need to succeed, particularly with what's happened in the world recently and how we're evolving how we sell, and also what they think salespeople and leaders can learn or take away from the current climate. This one was a really insightful conversation. Some great topics came up. So I'm really looking forward to you listening to this. Sit back and enjoy. Tom and Aaron, welcome. How are we doing? Very well, thank you. Yeah, great. Ready. Good, good. Thank you for joining me on an episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. And for people that are tuning in that might probably live under a rock if they don't know the answer to this question, but have not heard of either of yourselves, it would be great to give them a bit of context to start off with in terms of your background and who you are. So, Tom, if I can start with you, please. Uh, yeah, so there'll be a, a lot less people who have heard of me than have heard of Aaron. But uh, yeah, for the purposes of introduction, uh, I have the pleasure of uh, helping Outreach launch our presence here in EMEA, so internationally, and trying to keep up with the rate of that growth. So my daily challenges are at the moment hiring at a rate of knots, acquiring and uh, and helping our existing customers, and uh, and growing out the team of yeah, customer success, support, and professional services and so on and so forth and uh yeah super pleased to be here great thank you and yourself aaron yeah great um yeah excited to be here especially with tom uh who new friend because i just moved from los angeles with the family here to edinburgh a few months ago i think there's like two things speaking of family two things that people know me most for one is writing books uh, the two books predictable revenue and the sequel from impossible to inevitable a lot of syllables there, I know. Uh, <laughs> really excited to see it was ranked the eighth best, uh, eight top, uh, eighth best startup book or growth book ever. With authority, and then also for having nine kids, not as common days, but uh, I don't know. Fun fact: so one last thing is we moved here with five kids in January, and then with the pandemic and other things going on, we they've been slowly creeping up. Now we're up to eight over here. <laughs> 
So <laughs> one holdout in LA still. It's not long term. So we're living here permanently, but I'm sure at some point the older ones will go back to the States for school and boarding school in uni. It's not often I meet somebody who's got twice as many kids as me. It's normally people are in awe of the fact that I've got four, but uh, eight <laughs> under one roof and then and, uh, another two, three. Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would ask how you cope, but I suppose that's for a different topic and different podcasts, really. <laughs> <laughs> the boredom is not one of the problems we have at this house right now. With yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Well, again, you know, as I said, thank you so much for for joining me. And one of the things that I'd love to get people's input and and thoughts on on this podcast recently is addressing some common myths or throw comments or statements that you often hear in the world of sales and ones that might have been true to some point or have been misinterpreted. And one of the things that when we were talking came up that I thought was quite relevant is this this understanding sometimes or this statement that people believe that a salesperson's job is to close business. So what I'd love to hear from your points of view is, is how true is that? If it isn't, like what is a better way of framing that? Because I think a lot of people maybe have a misunderstood conception of what my role is as a seller and probably from a leader's point of view as well. So Tom, if, if you can kick things off, what are your thoughts on that statement? Well, I can. I, I just realised I've got about seven different directions to go in that one. Uh, <laughs> the first statement I would have is: uh, What sets phenomenal salespeople apart from others is they don't try and get to a number. I look at a lot of uh, a lot of salespeople who are not phenomenal, and they're always focusing on their quota. Top salespeople, their quota is kind of is, is irrelevant. They run such a great business and a franchise that the number looks after itself. And therefore, in of itself, they're not trying to close business. They're trying to build relationships. And I think when you and I were speaking before, the idea of closing business doesn't necessarily suggest that there's a mutual benefit, that both parties are getting as much out of this as they should do. So my statement would I would prefer is uh, in the subscription economy and the subscription across the board, not just in technology area, is a salesperson's job, a commercial partner's job, is to maximize the lifetime value for and of a customer. Therefore, there's mutual benefit, and it's and it's acquired and developed over time. Hmm. And, and what about yourself, Aaron, on that statement? Good one. You know, I, I, as Tom said, seven different directions. And here's two. First, importantly, closing. It depends on the salesperson's job, right? Because again, there's not enough companies that specialize their salespeople. Yeah. Like, think about any sports team. There's no sports team. They all have positions: attackers, defenders, and so on. So you have to have your sales team, especially B two B. You know, to have setters, which could be outbound prospectors or inbound lead responders different than the closers or account executives signing new customers and different from salespeople who are main, maintaining customers, customer success, account management. Now, the way you do that's going to be different, but essentially you have to define what is their job job. And then attitude wise, which is just important is salesperson. Ultimately there's a lot of versions, but they're really here. Like how can I help this customer? And myself, my company, I'm balancing those two things. Because a lot of customers, I think in a lot of places, the word sales is still a dirty word, but a lot of customers need help buying. And the salesperson there 
is actually part of their job is helping a customer make a good decision for themselves, which many times involves buying things from that salesperson, but sometimes actually means not. Because the great salespeople say, well, tell a prospect, you know what? This is not a good fit for you. Yeah. Or maybe you need to start with a smaller bite because mm-hmm. they've got, they're balancing this idea of you know, signing a customer and making money for themselves and the company with making sure there's value, like relationship building, right? that they're looking out for the best interests of the prospect as well at the same time. Yeah. You make a really good point there around talking around helping them make a decision. I think a lot of the time in sales, you hear people talking about, you need to find their pain points, their challenges, like what what's going on in their world, but you might find it, but if they don't realize it, then you're not going to be able to get them to realize that they do need to make a change. Have you ever tried to buy, if you're in a company, you know how hard it is to buy stuff? It's tough. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, Tom, if you're trying to buy anything for outreach these days, but you try to convince everybody and it's a pain in the ass. So a good salesperson helps making the buying process and decision process for a prospect easier. Hmm. Decisiveness is an area as well that's, that's close to my heart as well. I'm, I've, I've got a saying that I've used before, which is uh, yes, no, and maybe. If they were in a race, yes and no would be a photo finish and maybe is a long way in third place. I would much rather have a decisive process that we've gone through and either disqualifying or, or getting to the no quickly to therefore then concentrate on on those folks that we can add value to. And to Aaron's point, I, I, just as you were speaking, I, I, I'm a fan of specialization in sales, the openers and the, and the closers, if you were to look at it in that way. Yeah. Uh, it surprises me in so many organizations, they have specializations in so many irrelevant areas by vertical, by geography, by size of account that they're going after. They, they recognize that all of these deals are so different. And yet the one major key difference is how do you inspire action and how do you facilitate action? Both of them are you know, ones that facilitate action is more program and project management, more skeptical. And inspire action is more educational, is, uh, is inquisitive, is being experts in questions. Um, you know, and, and actually, I see two different types of people enjoying those two different roles. If we try and club it all together, it, it's intriguing. Mm. Yeah. And when you mentioned earlier, Tom, when we initially spoke, I found what you were talking about quite fascinating of where a, where a salesperson or a seller should help a customer go within their journey if their journey is sort of a, a flat line of, of their current yeah. world. Can you care to share a bit more about that? Yeah. So, uh, and this is um, and this is where I have an intense passion around that kind of pipeline management and business development area because uh, a lot of companies will look at their inbound and their outbound pipeline or prospecting teams as as literally just meeting setters. Get me a meeting, you know, just literally get somebody to a point where they're having a meeting. And the conversion rate on those meetings is never going to be as high if actually the aspiration of those people in those early conversations is not about getting a meeting. That's the outcome is about persuading or helping the customer discover the prospect, discover that doing nothing is the worst possible decision that they could make. There's an SDR I was working with uh, a while ago who, who made the description. He said, our job is, is not just to open a door, but it's an open is is to help the, the prospect choose which door to go through and then to open it wide enough that it's an impossible decision not to go there. And 
this whole area around stability preference is really powerful. It's why people will stick in horrible situations because better the devil you, devil you know than the devil you don't. And so overcoming that, that, that willingness to move is difficult. And actually, uh, during oftentimes these business development folks are early stage in their career and giving those people the skills to understand how to inspire action, to help prospects move away from their current situation and see that it's actually impeding their business, obstructing their way forward, uh, is a skill that takes years to develop for a start, but will hold them in such good stead through the remainder of their careers. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a whole podcast on, on that kind of thinking, definitely. Mm. Yeah, when, when you were talking there about this kind of familiarity, it, you know, a lot of the stuff I do around the neuroselling side of things is that well, we've got two parts of our brain, the primal and the rational, and the primal brain seeks familiarity and the rational brain seeks novelty. And yep. there was a really interesting guy called Raymond Lowry. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He came up with the Maya principle, which is most advanced yet acceptable. And the idea is that when we have these things, if they're too far removed from something that we know, we can't, we can't accept them. We can't, we can't yeah. enjoy them. We can't participate yeah. in them. Uh, he uses the example of, or not, he doesn't use the example, but for example, Apple released the Newton tablet back in the mm. early 90s. And at the time, there wasn't, there wasn't the, the uptake on it because people weren't familiar with it. Whereas if you look at the involvement of the iPod since, it's kind of got people to a point when it did become fully touchscreen that people could go, yeah, I can accept this because it's, it's similar to what I know. And it links to something called a familiar surprise. It's kind of finding that balance of something that's familiar yet surprising, but surprising yet familiar. Mm. And, and finding that balance in between. And, and when salespeople can do that, it's... It's bringing people, as you say, not just going too far into the future of this is what could be, but getting them to realize what's happening right now and giving them an idea of like something in between of that, of how they can get there rather than just making that assumption. Yeah. Yep. It's true. It's like if it's too far out of someone's understanding of reach, it just becomes, I think it's, it's, it takes a lot of energy to change habits and if again, there's like too big a change, it just becomes feel like it's impossible or unreachable. It doesn't feel like people can do it. So it kind of gets discarded. Yeah. yeah. The bone is too high. The dog won't jump. Yeah. It's quite interesting actually linked to that Spotify, the discover weekly. Have you, do we review have Spotify? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. every week you get a set of new songs. And when Spotify initially released this, it was, it was actually broken a bit in that two or three songs would, would slip through that people already knew. So they fixed that thinking it was, you know, they'd done their job, but the engagement actually went down. And what they found was that people need that kind of familiarity of those two or three things amongst new things to actually feel comfortable to adopt something. Yeah. Right. Kind of like an anchor or a, mm. um, it's like, Oh, the thing recognizes stuff I already like, like a signal. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. And it's the same with, music films you know we all like to think we like to watch new films and new music but we're very heavily linked to coming back to the same kind of tunes the same kind of stories sequels to films it all links to that well, i think that's uh, the same reason why people uh all the prospects they really most of them need case studies that are similar to them so they can see it makes it easier to see this um 
the story of what they're saying. Cause if you have the same case study problem and solution, but you know, the, the situation is too different. They, it takes a lot more energy to get to figure out, Oh, is this relevant to me? Mm-hmm. Cause again, our brains are wired for path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. Like kind of like, especially when we're busy or stressed out, like just kind of like, tell me what to do. Just give me the answer. And so again, going back to the role of a salesperson in the company is a lot of times really working and it can be challenging to make the message simple and to make the information simple and to make the journey simple, to make the things, make it feel doable, whether they're a prospect or a customer. Because even, um, I mean, it's easy to make claims on the internet, but to make believable claims and to back it up with proof and then to make the prospect feel like they can do it. I mean, you can tell a prospect, Hey, I've helped hundred people lose 30 pounds in 30 days. Okay. But they still might believe you. They might think, well, that's great for other people, but I can't do that. So in implementing a CRM, you know, those are challenging. So to make them feel like they can do it, it's kind of, how do you make it feel doable? It's a lot of this in you make it easier for them to make a decision. The power of storytelling. That's uh definitely one of the traits of top salespeople at the moment yeah yeah and i had um you'll, you'll know who kelly wright on a few weeks ago talking yeah. about just that and she's a great example of of stories and how powerful they are within our mm. communication also so some of the things we we talked about there come down to traits and, and habits of of salespeople and i've really been really interested in this series to find out from different people's perspective on some personally what you think are some top traits habits or skills that you think are going to make people successful not just in the current climate but looking into the future particularly with what's going on in the world so tom what are your what are your thoughts on on that around well it's interesting i mean you say the current climate as well um i am very hopeful and i've, I've been vocal about this over the last few weeks um the current climate has has raised the bar in terms of what the minimum acceptable level of selling is. And of course, good salespeople have been above that bar and this revised bar for some some time. And I am so excited about that as an industry, being passionate about the sales industry and wanting to see that being revered and being respected. I want people who are at school to want to grow up to be a salesperson. Um, so the current climate that we found ourselves in, as, as, you know, as I say, raised that bar. And I am convinced that that bar isn't going down. Uh, the expectation of the skills, the level of authenticity, uh, um, uh, the level of EQ that's required, the level of expertise and understanding into somebody's business uh, at the moment will be required for long enough that it will become a habit. As they say, practice makes permanent. It doesn't make perfect. Uh, And I see this as being a a, a permanent reaction. And in terms of what I see as uh, as being the top traits, it's it's being authentic. Uh, It's actually giving a damn and caring about the uh, the people that you're talking to and making sure you're not wasting their time, uh, having done your research and having, uh, you know, invested time. That's not just on the sales rep. That also requires the organization as a whole to be more deliberate about the markets it's going to go after and the segments and the personas uh, and to spend time looking at the messaging and understanding the challenges those people face. 
So there'll be a, a, a massive increase in specialism. And from that, as by definition, we're going to be selling more in our lane, which then means it's not such a quantum leap for prospects to go through to our previous point. And along with all of that, the, the, the removing the clutter and the complexity. So the use of things like analogies, storytelling uh, are all going to be table stakes for phenomenal salespeople. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's two things that under, underlie all that too is uh, working from home, right? Because it'll be rare for people. We'll see, you know, it, it could be, uh, it could be years. Well, a lot of people aren't going to go back to offices. A lot of people will, and we don't know when could be this year, maybe next things could come and go. We don't know. But you, so they have to be prepared to, to work remotely and to be managed or managed remotely and to sell remotely and not, fa not face to face. Even when face to face selling comes back, it's going to come back as a fraction of what it was before. So everything virtual, everything remote, that's just like a basic skill. Now, I don't know about the UK. In the States, I think a lot of people are already used to virtual work and selling. There's, of course, lots of people who aren't. UK, my impression is not, not quite is ready, but still have to be. And along, and there's going to be a lot of people in the sales jobs and other jobs who are really struggling with that, like a lack of human connection, difficult work environments at home, just kind of finding new ways to work. Now, we've kind of had this reset button hit where it's a chance for companies and people to redefine how and when they want to work, right? You can work different hours. You can work in different places, if you want to do some calls outside, inside, do you want to work early and not late? I mean, you probably have never had as much flexibility, even in sales as before. Or companies, a lot of companies aren't going to go back to offices. I know my company isn't at this point. And we've got about 55 people, mostly in North America. So that's one thing people just need to embrace and not hope it's going to get better. If people have a different, if salespeople have a difficult time working from home, they have to figure it out. That's one. The other is, you know, Tom mentioned rightly authenticity. So the other thing that's missing a lot these days is again, when everything's over zoom calls, you just don't, there is a, that level, a separate kind of connection you don't get when you're face to face, whether it's with coworkers, especially, or with prospects. So what does that mean? Authenticity. And that one version is just learning, uh, finding ways to like, what other parts of you, who you are, are interesting to yourself and can you start to bring into your work whether it's hobbies like art or painting or poetry songs music uh, fiction writing and then what are kind of personal stories and details are relevant when you're having business conversations with your coworkers or prospects i use myself as an example i don't have my uh you know, my book's really handy but i have art in the books that i do just for fun it started and then i kind of ended up putting into my books obviously talk about having nine kids and family a lot. And um, there's other hobbies I have that aren't as relevant. Um, sometimes like uh, playing guitar right now. Uh, having said that, there's times when I might have a guitar, see people like prospects with guitars, it comes up in conversation. So it's really being, being willing to not have just business conversations, but conversations with other people who happen to be needing something you might have staying focused on the value and how, how, how to help them, but realizing that part of that is they're not going to really listen to you as much unless they're connecting with you. 
And one of the ways you do that is by just being yourself, including it uh, on Zoom calls, like letting go of being as formal or stuffy as you might have been and just being, um, not being a clown, but just being yourself. Well, I don't know, maybe you are a clown. Maybe you have a clown hobby. In that case, <laughs> I mean, I guess someone might show up to a sales call in clown makeup. Might be a little, that might be a little much. I might get a little scared <laughs> <laughs> right now. I don't get the clown thing. Um, but yeah, just being, finding ways to be more of yourself. I call it unique genius. Mm. Really the thing I'm most interested in these days because of new ideas and new content, because as a, as a world, we're going to have less human to human connection for, for years. So how do we, what are some ways we can cope with that? Mm. Yeah. It's funny, and, and, and on the remote side of things, the other thing that I've noticed a lot when speaking with other sales leaders as well is, uh, and they've seen a huge improvement in the unit economics and margins because you know T&E is out the window. And the other thing that salespeople are having to um, acclimatize to is this idea of pace. And before, you'd go and see somebody and say, well, hey, look, we can come back in a couple of weeks and we can take this to the next level because my diary's booked up with two or three meetings a day because it takes me all day to drive between these two or three meetings. Well, uh, you know, the other morning I had nine customer calls before lunch. Yeah, <laughs> uh, That level of productivity was never, never there before. So there is this onus on, you know, pace and, and just acclimatizing yourself to this idea of, hey, well, why don't we just, you know, either tear back up again this afternoon or we'll meet up tomorrow. So sales cycles are getting short. That requires when things are happening at speed, it's the analogy I would give. Having said analogies are a strength of phenomenal salespeople. Not that I'm calling myself phenomenal, but I do like analogies. Uh, is, you know, if you're driving slowly, I can put one of my, I can put my 13-year-old daughter in a car, and she could drive it at 10 miles an hour with very little skill. Now put her in a Formula One car, yeah, down the same road, and you just have to drive it at 200 miles an hour. It's a different set of skills. And big deals are now being done quicker than they've ever been done before because it's done remotely. Requires a different set of skills. I wonder whether organizations are thinking about what are the skills and attributes that the salespeople they need going forward versus what they've had for the last 20 or 30 years. And are they the same? Mm. Yeah, some interesting points you make there, particularly on that last one about, I suppose, the expectation sometimes of the sake of meetings is that some customers just feel like they have to do it because it's the done thing. Whereas if it gets removed from it, it's, well, we don't need to necessarily meet in person now. We can do this all virtually because there is yeah. that that level of knowledge and, and trust being able to be built in different ways. And to your point, Aaron, as, as well, I completely agree. I think it's ironic that through isolation, we've become more connected in terms of <laughs> how well or actually how, how, as you said, kind of removing that kind of layer of uh, not professionalism, because you can still be professional, but that, that to your point, Tom, earlier as well around authenticity is you're getting an insight into someone from a different angle just by being in their house and by like hearing what's going on in their lives and just understanding and taking your time to go. We're not so caught up in the day to day of getting somewhere and getting from somewhere. We've got a bit more time to get to know someone and whether that's a colleague, whether that's a customer um, or your team as well. I think it's just helping people connect a lot more effectively as well from it, which, which kind of links to the, the mental health side of things as well. I think, you know, within this isolation, it's made people wake up a lot more to 
you're sitting with your own thoughts. There's a lot more going on because you're not as busy and wrapped up in things, which means you do have that time to connect with people in a different way. Yeah. So speaking of stories, right? I just talked, I talked with uh, some C-levels at a company. I don't remember how many, it's a pretty big one in the UK, uh, probably a few thousand employees, but they've got a few hundred salespeople. And the new, there's a CSO who's new past couple months, um, hasn't met anyone in person basically from his company. And he said that with the, they have to do it through some transformations and changes and said that, you know, he's doing these you know, like webinars and just, again, it feels kind of one dimensional and flat. And like, how can he connect with people? So he's got the plans, but again, people have to really kind of believe in you and trust in you and feel some inspiration or opportunity with you for them to be open to change. And I think the same thing was really, uh, can, how do you be more of yourself with these and things like whether stories, personal stories and details when things, something worked, when something didn't work, uh, you can, it's okay to talk about your fears, uncertainty and doubt because everyone's got versions, especially mm. when you're a leader, right? Any parent or entrepreneur, uh, a lot of people, it's like you're just figure, figuring it out day by day because you never know what the next day is going to bring. And that's okay to say. You can have confidence in the future, even if you know the current plan. You can say, we have a plan. All we know is the plan is not going to work the way we have it laid out. We know it's, it'll get us going and it's going to work out, but no one can predict the future, but at least we, we have a direction and you can be confident in that. So there's ways to be a leader, but also be vulnerable. And I think again, a simple way to start is um, realizing your people are going to be a lot more involved and behind you if they know you as a person. And that's including some of the good things about you and some of the warts as well, because we all have them. Mm. Uh, they don't have to be current issues. I mean, it could be talk about past ones. It could be everyone's level of comfort's different. But, um, you know, it's just not, it's trying to be a person talking to other people. And it's kind of funny that it takes practice. <laughs> In business, yeah. At least the time yeah, and it, and it kind of leads into what I was going to, and we've talked about this already, I suppose, and I'm curious, we've discussed a bit already what we can kind of take away and learn from in this environment from a sales point of view, but also a sales leader's point of view. And one thing you just mentioned there, Aaron, I think links a lot around trust is, you know, the the, the sales managers of the old world that needed people around them to trust them that they were doing their job is kind of, building a different kind of environment now to go, actually, do you know what? These people can be responsible for their own outcomes and their productivity. And it's more of a question of how do we, it's not a question of how do I get close to that? It's how do I encourage more of that? I, I think to, to, to get people to want to kind of do that. I had Pete Crosby on a couple of weeks ago and he talks about, you know, before you focus on numbers, you need to focus on the environment and direction uh, and creating that kind of safe environment. And even if it's not a physical one now, it's how do you create that, that virtual one, I suppose, to, to allow people to feel comfortable to go, yeah, I want to be productive. I want to sell and don't feel like I have to just keep micromanaging them at the same time because they're not in front of me. So yeah. what's your, what's your, there might be some things we've, we've mentioned already, but if, is there anything else, uh, Tom, that you would say people can take away from this, whether it's sales leaders or sell, sellers themselves? Well, yeah, I, again, uh, you know this this period of change has uh, yeah for many organizations changed changed the challenges their solutions may even be able to address 
uh, I would encourage sellers, good sellers, to be looking at actually other different use cases that my product can address into different areas. And one of the ways to find that out, and and again, thinking of you know a, of great admiration for Pete, so I love everything that he talks about. But uh, that reminds me of um, the uh, that book, the Team of Teams, where at the moment, because nobody's in an office, they kind of feel as though they're in a team of one. If there is a potential to have um, you know new propositions, new ways of explaining your products and services is find a way even remotely to create teams of teams. And they'll need to be smaller because distance makes it less, you know, more difficult to collaborate. But if you can get three or four people, like pods of people working together uh, to come up with potential solutions to challenges, different ways of describing and talking about products and services, and then have those individuals train everybody else, then the leader's job more so than ever at the moment is less about telling people what to do because they're not ever present. And it's more about just defining, refining, encouraging, and developing the culture and making sure that stays in place. Hmm. And for yourself, Aaron? Yeah. And it's, it's harder. It's hard. much just a new set of skills. Hmm. Um, you know, I think, again, there's never been more kind of problems and challenge in the world which also means there's never been more opportunity. Yeah. Whether you look at that in your personal side, work uh, or in your personal life, like never been a better time to recreate yourself. If you can embrace that this is the new, this is the way the world's going to be. So how can you make the best of it? You know, it could be a long time, but we don't know. So whether it's a book you want to write or again, pick up a hobby, you got more time. Uh, I know there's a lot of, of course, especially a lot of financial anxiety and fear. Businesses are going, people, a lot of people are going to go out of business. A lot of people are going to have and will lose jobs. We haven't even seen the worst part of the recession yet. That's in the States. There's how many tens of millions of people filed for unemployment in the last few months. So governments are propping it up now. But, you know, as long as you have, you know, some really what you don't need, I mean, we're so attached to money as a sense of our self worth and, and importance, especially in the States, but you know, first world. And especially if you are providing for a family. Um, but as long as you really have shelter and food and some people who you care about and who can help ca- take care of you. Um, if your credit score goes down, so what, if you have to borrow money, so what you're going to be okay. Right. The business goes under you'll, in a year or two, it's going to be, it might be a year or two of hell, but you can come out of it stronger. If you kind of are looking at this as a way to learn new skills or kind of deal with new challenges. And uh, the more you kind of stay stuck with trying to go back to the way things were in 2019, that's only going to hurt you. So it doesn't feel good when there's, you feel like your, your life is going down the tubes, your job is, or your, um, but we have so much fear it's just plain fear. And again, if you can just focus on what really matters, like the people you care about and care about you and food and a place to live. Uh, if you lose a house, like can you stay with family? Some people will like, you're going to get through it somehow. So it may feel like the world is ending. You're dying, but you're not unless you like literally have a terminal illness, which is a different story. Mm. Yeah. So you're going to be Okay. Yeah, I think, you know, a big thing at the moment is is not just for individuals but businesses, how much they're able to adapt and and evolve as 
as, as to your point earlier, Tom, of course, of how they might sell their products or solution in, in different ways to solve different problems. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been reading a lot in the last few months before this around AQ, around adaptability quotient and mm-hmm. like how important that's becoming for, for salespeople in, in how they're able to adapt now within a world, like you said to earlier, of not selling face to face or not being able to dial people directly as possible because they don't have their mobile numbers. You can't call an office anymore. So what do you do? Like how else do you get in front of people? Wow. You just, and you know what? Sometimes, again, sometimes you can, you're going to adapt a business and it's just not going to work out. You know, adapt a new job, it's just not going to work out. But there can be another business or another job. Um, you know, as humans, we're so, we're wired to be afraid of loss, right? So just recognize that. And it's like, it's okay if this doesn't work out, you like give it your all. But if it doesn't work out, there'll be something, you know, like they say that when one door closes, another one opens, right? I've known that's been true for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have, I have a business, $5 million business. We're adapting. Like things are turning around after a couple months. But again, there's still big surprises coming. Big, I, I believe there'll be a big recession. This isn't it. Um, are we going to be ready? Well, we'll see. Do I believe we'll be in a better place for all this? Yeah. I think I've been through some downturns before. A couple economic downturns, been through a divorce, also a business bankruptcy. So it's all right. That was horrible. So especially if it's a first-time divorce or first-time business and it goes under, like, and you haven't seen the other side of the benefits from when you fail, it's a lot harder. So I guess I've seen more of the benefits of failing in those really like what feel like life or death situations, but they're really not. The only life or death situations are really like life or death. Mm. You know, I say, uh, but um, you know, there's like the the thing that has powered my success as a family member big family and great family was a divorce. That was a big part of it. Power of my success as an entrepreneur was a failure. Big part of it. I wrote about that in predictable revenue. So yeah, you don't want to fail, but you can't be successful without failing. The worst thing to do is to not try anything. Even a heartbeat has an up and a down. Totally. Life is a roller coaster. You can't get away from that unless you do nothing. Sit on the couch and just play Xbox all day. And by the way, I've got teens who would do that. <laughs> We're like, no. <laughs> yeah. up and down. Uh, there's a great, and I won't talk about it on here because I've done it a couple of times, but it's a great talk by Simon Sinek about the infinite gamer. Uh, yeah. That is really worth a, a watch. If people are listening to this, you haven't heard about it before. It talks about how you can, well, he doesn't talk about it in there, but I think it's so applicable to the, to the world of sales. Like you say, it is a roller coaster. There is no definitive end or, beginning to something great nobody well, goes in nobody goes into sales for an easy life we either have a great day or a terrible day because we're either winning or losing so uh you know if there's anybody who's genetically engineered for what we're going through at the moment it's all of us salespeople. we're mm-hmm. very good at seeing the silver lining and everything and we're really good at learning from our mistakes and, and there are very few salespeople in the world who win more deals than they lose. You know, a 30% win rate is like knocking it out of the park for a lot of salespeople. So we're constantly dealing and learning and trying to improve. And um, yeah, to kind of Aaron's point, the amount of change that's going on at the moment in the world, that requires new products, new services to be bought. It's on our shoulders to facilitate that process and to make sure that people are buying the right things at the right time and getting value. We actually could help the world get through this recession 
quicker if we all turn up and do our jobs. Mm, absolutely. And I think the value, if you're any form of sales role right now, you know, if you can sell in this climate, you can, you can do it in any climate. And I think, you know, yeah. if there are people listening to this that do want to move into leadership roles and progress and start their own business, it's a great way to build that experience to your point as well, Aaron, of mm. failing through things and, and understanding, being able to share those stories in the future and really empathize with people that, are, that you're going to eventually manage or, or work with on the long, alongside. But, um, but yeah, Aaron and Tom, you know, it's been a, a real pleasure today. Thank you so much for your, your stories and your insights. It's been really enjoyable getting to know a bit more about you as well. Yeah. Thanks for putting this together, Chris. And yeah, good to see you again. Thank you. Get, yeah, someday absolutely. we'll together. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll have to do it live, yeah. yeah. Definitely. And, and, for people yeah. That, <laughs> and for people that are tuning in, that, that is there any any way you want to direct them, that some of the things you talked about here that they can follow or read more about? So, Tom, is there anywhere in particular you want to direct the listeners? Oh, wow. Uh, let me have a think about that. You just uh, – I was kind of gutturally coming at you during this. There wasn't <laughs> – <laughs> Uh, answer why you think yeah so, uh, for me the best place to start really would be so um my linkedin i've kind of been posting new content uh and you can follow me if you you can use my email to connect hold on that's uh, a-i-r at predictablerevenue.com but really the books if you go to from impossible.com that is the best book for people to start with just the the growth book that's been really really well received and still go to like so many lessons for people and companies trying to get growth started reignite growth how to adapt that's the from impossible to inevitable book great and Tom uh, I couldn't recommend a better source than that yeah I mean you know hit me up on LinkedIn by all accounts I'm pretty vocal on most things uh, and I'm passionate about selling so yeah. Yeah, and also a great part of the Sales Impact Academy videos that are very enjoyable to watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, PredictableRevenue.com are big fans of Outreach, the tool, recommended a lot. So, um, again, excited to do some more stuff with you, Tom, here in the UK and Europe about that because I know we uh, we want to, and we're big fans of it. So, a lot of our clients yeah, use it. Appreciate that. Yeah. And we use it currently too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, again, thank you I both. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for the listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Hey, people. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. If you want to find out more and connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn under Chris Hatfield, H-A-T-F-I-E-L-D, or on my website, www notanothersalesguy.com that's www.notanothersalesguy.com stay tuned in future for some courses and free content on there as well but for now have a good one and i'll catch you soon